This is Speak Earth. I'm Case Bradford. Thank you for tuning in to this episode with the powerful Leah Hester. I really enjoyed this conversation and I was reminded about why I love creating podcasts, the ability to connect with a brilliant human and have a wide ranging and deep conversation dropping into a flow state with someone I had never spoken to before and express ourselves authentically to allow the dialogue, the dialogos, the cosmos in action to unfold in a cool way. We were able to illuminate many topics that I love, like the mind-body connection of movement and yoga, raw milk and enlightenment, the oneness of surfing, connection with nature, the overwhelming power of technology, and the beautiful art of doing nothing. There are many beautiful riffs throughout this conversation, and it really ends in a deep and powerful way, so I encourage you to listen all the way through, and appreciate you tuning in. The sponsor of today's episode is the moon, the exquisite crescent sliver, that lunar luminescence, bright light in the dark night, shape-shifting, cratered, and beautiful. No promo code needed. You can go moon gaze. Check it out. I highly recommend doing so. If you're in the market for some good moon cheese, I don't think you can't really get it. You kind of have to go. You got to go to the moon. So recommend becoming an astronaut and acquiring moon cheese that way. While you're there, you could plant a flag that says Peak Earth if you want to help promote the podcast. A few other cool ways would be sharing an episode on social media or leaving a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. Speaking of cheese, those always make me smile. And yeah. That's it. Enough rambling from me. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Leah Hester. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Kate? Very well. Thank you for joining me. Stoked to connect and co-create this episode. I've been looking forward to it, and I know you have a a ton of wisdom and and experience and knowledge around a lot of topics that we're both passionate about. So thank you for taking the time to join me. Of course. Thank you for having me. I know we connected recently over the fact that there's this company in Miami bringing back the milkman. I think they're called the (laughs) Milkman Miami, where they're just delivering raw milk to people. And and you said that you remembered growing up, there was you had a a milkman come by. What was that like? I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, like about 25 miles north of the city, in a suburb called Highland Park. And those suburbs around that area of Chicagoland, that was a common thing where we would have a milkman. So it was in glass jugs, like super old school, which I look back on and I'm like, wow, that's literally amazing because of course that's non-existent today. And the milk was pasteurized, so not raw milk, but this was when I was growing up as a kid. So in the early 2000s, and they would come around with these milk jugs and just drop them off at your door. And I distinctively remember that we would always get chocolate milk as well as regular milk. And yeah, we would return the jugs and then he'd come back and do it again. And like all my friends had it too. It was like a neighborhood thing. Wow. Yeah, I'd, I have no recollection of, of anything like that. Maybe it's just because I grew up in New Hampshire and it wasn't part of the the area there but I think of the milkman I think of way way back in the day like the 50s or something I don't know when they kind of phased <laughs> out but I guess it was it's pretty recent yeah yeah I know me too like a guy in like a white a white shirt with white pants just like going around dropping off milk what yeah for some reason it was a thing and around the suburbs I grew up in it is it is a wonderful service because if we think about milk as, as such a nourishing fluid and powerful vitalizing food ideally raw we we want to get it from the farms and the cows to the people who enjoy it relatively quickly and if we are drinking on a consistent basis a milk milkman or milk delivery surface seems like a pretty great way to do that absolutely especially i remember we used to have a fruit man too his name was johnny i remember him so well and johnny would deliver like these boxes of local produce how local? I don't know. Probably not hyper local because I was really close to a huge city. And to grow all of that fruit, of course, needed abundance of land. 
which was not where I was around. But yeah, it's that's a beautiful thing to have the most vital form of liquid delivered to your door every time that you need it instead of running to the store. Yeah. You said it was pasteurized, which is the most popular form of, of milk these days. That was a switch that happened well before either of us were born, but now you're seeking raw milk out generally if, it, if it's available. I imagine, when did you find out about raw milk? I have been drinking raw milk and eating in the way that I have probably. It's been over a year, just a little bit over a year. Um, and during that time, I was living in Southern California and San Diego for five years, and I was living in North County and would go to my farmer's market all the time, and they actually didn't have raw milk. I would get my meats there, my produce. It was pretty much the bulk of my grocery shopping. But then I would go to the grocery store, and I saw that raw milk was just amongst the milk options. And I was amongst the many who were confused, who were reading the the ingredients on these nut milks and like, carrageenan? I don't think, what is, wh- who, who is that? I don't think I want to be eating that every day. So um, if I'm even pronouncing that ingredient correctly and all of these additives that I didn't want in my milk. So I was like, but I knew that the pasteurization of dairy diminished it of a lot of the nutrients. So then I saw the raw milk and I was like, this is a little pricey, but cost of health is worth it all. So I bought the raw milk, tried it, and I, I was hooked. Similar story here. I, I guess it's been around around a year, and it's really been just exploding on, on the internet, I think partially because it seems to be somewhat controversial. There's some people who think it's dangerous, which is insane. And then there's other people who just love it with so much passion that it just it's been really reaching a lot of, a lot of people. It, it, it's pretty amazing because I, I do I have found a love for it. It's just such such an amazingly delicious food, and even we can even track back. There's controversial not just over raw milk, but just over milk in, in general. I know there's a an entire community centered around veganism or, or plant based approach where milk is is the idea is well milk is for a cow, you know. And it's for a baby cow and you're not a baby cow, so you shouldn't be drinking milk. Yeah, that's very interesting. And what interests me the most, too, about the whole controversy is like people are so set in their way of thinking just from society sculpting their mind that they can't even fathom trying that. Or they'll be like, ew, that milk is is raw. And it's like you're saying that the raw milk is gross, but basically the pasteurized milk that you're drinking starts as the raw milk and then goes through a bunch of tubes and that's not gross <laughs> yeah and then and then the other alternative is something like oat milk or almond milk which is grown in these massive industrial monocrop farms in which untold numbers of bees and butterflies and insect life is just decimated which downstream leads to birds dying off and butterflies dying off and there's so much devastation and death as, as a result of that and then what happens is you get this uh, essentially devitalized crop whether it's an oat or an almond that's like pulverized and then squeezed out into like a murky white fluid that is supposed to be <laughs> better than something straight from a, a mother cow that's been treated with love right and then on top of that, add in the, the seed oils and the fillers and the preservatives. Mm. Yeah, and the, and the carrageenan. The carrageenan. <laughs> I guess we can even track back, take a step back further and put the raw milk aside for a moment. How, how did you come to that, to the style of eating that you currently practice? Did you go through a journey to get there or did you just somehow have an epiphany? Yeah, I definitely went through a journey to get there. Um, I'm blessed and luck- grateful enough to have not had any major health concerns throughout my life. However, when I was in high school, this whole spiritual journey, as well as like health and and lifestyle and just leading a natural life was kind of went hand in hand for me. So from the age of 16, I was, you know, sitting in high school and starting clothing businesses, which is what I did most of my adult life as well up until now really where I'm transitioning, but reading self-help books, um, 
instead of sitting at the lunch table with friends in high school in the library because I was just so curious about the world and more than what was meeting my eye in the suburb that I was going to school in. So I was dating a boy at the time who was a bit older than me. He was a senior and I was a sophomore. And I would spend a lot of time at his house. His mom was a yogi and his dad owned a farm. So a very beautiful, naturally based family. And they were doing the keto diet, like super hardcore. And at the time, I was actually a vegetarian. So this is also where this leads into because I was a vegetarian from the time I was eight until the time I was about 16, just out of my choosing. I have three older brothers. They all ate all the meat in the world. And so I was always at this boy's house as he was my boyfriend in high school and his family would eat keto. So I would eat it with them, of course. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. And this was before the keto diet like exploded. Uh, So it was very interesting in the eyes of other people around me. They had never heard of it. My family was like, what are they doing? This is crazy. But I started feeling really good, even though I was a vegetarian and I went strict keto with them. I was only eating fats and um like was measuring my ketones when I was like 16 by like pricking my finger getting my blood so long story short is I did keto started becoming aware of the ingredients of the things on the labels I was eating noticed a change in my body in the way that I felt and my energy making bulletproof coffee and it kind of just one thing led to another and you can't go back after that wow that's amazing and you mentioned having an interest in spirituality and starting businesses when you were 16 in in high school how do you sense or what is your experience with the way diet nutrition interplays with spirituality i think once people realize that the spiritual path is being human because that's where we are right now and that's the incarnation that we're in they accept that you should take care of of this vessel and that this is what's carrying your soul around and it's when you feel good your mind you know the mind and the body are one in the same they're connected i truly believe that i believe that every element is connected to the mind and and vice versa so when they realize that they go hand in hand you can't ascend or you know be on this spiritual path and try to have these realizations and sit with your thoughts and sit down to meditate and ponder if your mind and your your body feel like shit you gotta feel good (laughs) absolutely what are some other big pieces of that puzzle for you integrating the body mind and spirit with the aim of of feeling good and self-actualizing that's a good question that's a deep question I, after I started these, these businesses and when I dropped out of school when I was in San Diego and then had a clothing business as well, I put that on pause to do my yoga teacher training. And that was the main drive for that was of course, like the, the physical yoga that I had loved and been doing for a few years prior to wanting to do my training. But most of it stemmed from like being curious about yoga philosophy and yogic philosophy. And So for me, integrating those spiritual practices of meditation and breath work and and yoga asana is a very huge component for me when it comes to balancing that with the way that I eat and the way that I show up in business and all the other things. Beautiful. It's interesting. Yoga, to me, has been fascinating because there seems to be so many forms and styles and it almost seems like it's been somewhat commercialized or even to a degree bastardized by by the west the way it's presented what's what's your experience like with it having gone deeper into the practice yeah i agree it's definitely changed over time but just like going back in our previous conversation it's like uh, of people once they realize that you got to take care of the physical, it's like you can't fight the external world. So I don't have control over the way that the West has made yoga into what it is. So, you know, you just have to flow with it instead of fighting the external world. And 
it, it's one of those things where it is what it is and you can take your personal practice as deep as you take your practice and you know learn from the origins of yoga and study the eastern way of things and read the ancient spiritual yoga texts which i dive into and yeah it kind of depends your intention for the practice like where are your your why why are you doing the practice why do you want to teach the practice and for me it's because it can provide it could change people's lives truly when you create space in the body through asana you're creating space in the mind then can be a beautiful beautiful practice absolutely it's such a fundamental practice for me although i don't have a strict yoga practice from what i understand of the foundation of what yoga is and i'm sure it's different for everyone but it seems to me like it's just allowing your body to move in the way that you want it to move and creating space for that to emerge and unfold as it as it wants to sort of in a way of integrating the the body and mind instead of having like a set principle or protocol that you don't necessarily need a yoga mat or yoga pants in a yoga studio you could just kind of do it anytime anywhere wearing whatever the heck you want and, it, and it's such a beautiful way to be able to just connect and, and yoke yeah the body mind and and, and soul in in that moment and yeah it is it is it is something too where i i almost feel i'm curious what you think of this with like the the specific postures and and positions like what what relevance does that have versus more of a free flow approach for you as as you in in your practice? That's a good question. I think when I do my personal practice, like at home, and I'm just free flowing, letting my my body guide the way, and then I just kind of go with it. That's really nice because that's more of an expression of what I want to flow through in that moment and what my body feels like it needs to release or make space for. Or I hold certain postures to really get into the fascia, which is also really important. Why I love yin yoga because it's slower. You hold the poses for longer, and you're really getting into the fascia, which is connected to every other part of our body. Whereas if I'm going to a class and a teacher is leading me through a flow, and you know, if you're going to teach something like I do teach yoga, you always have to be a student as well. I believe that's the best way to learn to grow. It's more of a mental thing yeah you have to pay attention to what what the teacher's saying and you know allow your body to go and flow there you don't know what she's gonna say next or how long she's gonna want you or he he or she's gonna want you to hold the posture so it's like definitely more mental when i'm being let guided versus free flowing and it's interesting the way that we kind of talk about these things is is so it's, it's so difficult versus actually actually doing it and experiencing it. I there, There's this this idea that like most of communication is actually through body language, and which is fascinating to think about because we become so like obsessed with the words that we're saying. And then even, even within the words that we're saying, there's the emotion behind the words, which communicates a lot as well. And then we can dial that down to the way that we express ourselves. So if most of the way we communicate is through body language expressing ourselves through body language and and for me that feels like movement or yoga and that is such an amazing therapy for me like what you mentioned there expressing what your body wants to express i feel like that's so much deeper than just like ah my back is tight so i need to move it around there's a mind component to this that just completely goes over most people's heads but it's been such a deep and powerful therapeutic method for me that i wish more people could kind of connect with it in some way I 100% agree. It's very therapeutic. It's very moving. And you do, you you release energy. And you, it, energy cannot be created or destroyed, but you're moving it, I should say. And that's so important for moving our prana, moving our life force energy around. Sometimes you don't even know what's stuck or jammed up. Like you have no idea until the body will show you or tell you based off of the way it's feeling like, if your low back hurts, maybe that's because, you know, you've been bending over too much to help someone in your life or to accommodate someone. Or if your shoulders are always tense, maybe it's because you're carrying something in your life that you don't even realize until it shows up as a physical element. That's so deep and powerful. And I imagine there, there are long-term ramifications of this too with things like cancer or diseases and 
that manifest over time at a, at a deeper sort of root cause level. I think there, there's certainly more to this emotional component where these emotions, which is just energy, ideally that needs to be in motion. And if we stick that into stagnation, which so many people are stuck within, then what happens is it does manifest in disease. And even the physical practice that most people engage in, like going to the gym, a lot of times it just involves kind of like sitting on various machines and, and pushing. It's like, it's not like we have so much more movement capability within us than just like sitting and pushing. But it's, yeah, it's, it's so fascinating to look at the multidimensional aspect of something like a yoga practice or a movement practice, especially when integrated within a natural setting, which is something that I've, I've been become really passionate about over the years is because there, there's this extra element or dynamic to it. And I'm wondering if you experience this the same way when we're able to be in the sun or on the earth and in the fresh air, there's this whole another component or universe that opens up within the element of movement practice out in nature. 100%. And I think that goes hand in hand with yoga, of course, but also like you mentioned, the gym. It's like, think about lifting outside versus lifting in a gym with the blue light and with all the, the, the people around and the music playing. It's a different experience when you are grounded to the earth and you're practicing yoga or not even grounded. If you're in a yoga shala that's maybe outside and has like open air and windows, it's just, it's a completely different experience because then you are connected to nature and moving this prana as you would be somewhere else, but it can actually be released, I feel. Like when you're in the gym, it's like, Yes, you're you're working through your emotions, you're moving your body, you're gaining muscle, you're getting stronger, but there's something about and something to be said about doing that in the sunshine and the natural elements. That's so huge and a great point. This concept of release, that's like, <laughs> that's so esoteric, but so true. And yeah, some people would listen and truly be like, I, I don't get that, but you won't understand it until you, you do it with all of these esoteric things in general and concepts it's like you will not truly know until you consistently try yeah that's another beautiful part of the traditional yogas there's so much esoteric there's there's so many esoteric elements of it like like the people who can levitate or live to be like 180 are there anything that you sort of encountered or are really into within that deeper esoteric aspect of yoga I think I ponder a lot when some of like the gurus and the sages will talk about enlightenment and like truly reaching that and going through the eight limb path to reach enlightenment. And that's like a whole conversation in itself. But it's wild that like people are like there are monks, there are monks that exist in the world and even in Southern California, like where I was and that's, you know, they, they are living their life to reach enlightenment. And it's, it's yeah, that's something that interests me so much and that I ponder all the time and would like to read more into. Who is the most enlightened being that you've ever met? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good question. Up into this point, up until this point, I don't know if I have an answer to that. Truly. It's interesting. I think for me, it might have just been like some random person on the, on the, on the street, like maybe a surfer. And for whatever reason, surfers always seem a little bit more enlightened to me. I don't, I don't know why. But that's probably an overgeneralization, but I think it's just something about maybe the way they spend so much time in, in the ocean just connected with that source of everything and are just sort of feeling the waves and, and being one with that flow seems to to me to be just like a pretty powerful way to connect to whatever enlightenment is, enlightenment is pointing towards but yeah yeah it's it's interesting I've, I've always been fascinated by that that concept as as well especially as you can kind of take steps towards enlightenment just based on some of the fundamental practices and you can see like oh i can see how this could just get better and better the, the deeper I go down this path. Mm -hmm. Truly. And it's so funny you say that about surf surfers because I just tweeted about that, I don't know, maybe a few weeks ago last month. And basically the tweet said, 
I love the surfing community and there's something so special about the surfing community because you're out in the middle of an ocean, like BMO, one of the most powerful forces, natural forces in the world that has no mercy. It has no idea that these little humans are just like on its shore surfing its huge, powerful waves. But you're sitting out there and like I've had moments in the ocean where I'm out sitting on my surfboard, just like looking back at this shore and I'm like, wow, like this is crazy. Like you see or depending on where you are, but in the jungle where I just was in Costa Rica, like looking at the the density of the green and just like realizing how small I am and then riding a wave and having like this euphoric five seconds of my life of pure bliss where I'm just like nothing else matters. You know, obviously you don't have your phone out there. You don't have food. It's just you, the board and the ocean. And it's like you can't surf like that and have those experiences and be like, no, I don't believe in God or like this isn't I- I'm not connected to nature. There's just no way. So that's why I think surfers, like as you feel, it's just like you get out of the water and you're you're vibrating up here because you were just literally bathing in nature, connected to it and working with it. Beautiful. Yeah, it is it is something special. When how did you get into surfing? I went to high school in Cleveland, Ohio, and then from there I went to San Diego State for college. And there were so many surfers at San Diego State, of course, because you're in Southern California. It's like some of the best waves in the world. And I made a bunch of friends with the surfer skater crew. That was like who I gravitated towards. And they would just take me surfing. They'd be like, get in the car. We're driving to the beach this weekend. I I was in a sorority and partied a little, but that that wasn't really what I liked to do. I did that in high school and I kind of got over that like super early in my life. So by the time I got there, I was like, I just want to go to the beach and surf. Teach me how to surf. Put me in. So yeah, I started surfing with my friends and then it became a real passion when I dropped out of school and was starting businesses. It was a bikini brand. So it just kind of went with my lifestyle. I lived walking distance gratefully to a really fun break. And I would go every single day until I felt comfortable just being out there alone. And yeah, now it's a passion that will be with me forever. Awesome. When you think about your experiences surfing, is there one particular wave that stands out in your mind as, as just your favorite one that, that you've ridden so far? How, how does that manifest yeah they, they they play back in your mind if when you have a good wave it's like you'll never forget it um there's been a few times definitely in california i had some some beautiful wave surf that live in my mind as well as costa rica i think that is probably like some of the best waves i've ever surfed um it threw me a little bit out of my comfort zone because it was a really heavy beach break and you know, you're only out there with a handful of people where I was. It was super remote. So, and I didn't know any of them. So I would just send it and hope that I made the drop and then ride the wave. And there were times where I was like, whoa, I just like surfed that. Like that was way over my head. Like, let's go. <laughs> awesome. That's another aspect of, of surfing or really any, any practice where challenge can be presented and then we can sort of engage with that challenge and, and grow as a as a being as as a result of that. And I imagine there is or there are corollaries or parallels with surfing and, and yoga. Or maybe once you began surfing it changed the way you approached your yoga practice. Do you feel like there are ways in which they interplay and integrate? Yeah, I feel like they definitely go hand in hand, um, spiritually and physically. I mean, of course, physically, you're you're doing a lot of the same postures. So the yoga really helps your surfing. It can help your balance on the board and, of course, your ability and fluidity. And spiritually, I think mentally being out in the surf when it's big, like the ocean does not care about your ego. It doesn't. It has no mercy. And when you're getting on the inside, getting pounded by waves, like you have to be mentally strong. Like you have to breathe, you have to. So it, it really ties hand in hand. And a lot of the surfers that I know do practice yoga and vice versa. The yogis, they like to surf because mentally you have to stay strong. You have to focus on your breath and you have to be like, everything's all good. 
I'm going to be okay. I'm going to surf this wave. And if I fall, it, it happens. And it's kind of the same in yoga. It's like this posture scares me. I'm upside down right now. I'm inverted. My head's below my heart. But you have to try it in order to do it. Those are three excellent principles for life as well. Stay strong <laughs> and focus on your breath and then everything's going to be all good. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Literally. Yeah. I, I love I love when movement practices give us principles or lessons that we can then use within just everyday living and, and work. And it, in a way, almost everything is, is movement practice. If we kind of look at it, look at it from a certain angle. Truly it is. And when you apply those, those simple principles, like they're not always necessarily easy. They're not hard either, but they're simple. It's simple. You know, the breath fuels our life without the breath. We couldn't exist. So when you learn how to control that, you control your nervous system and that changes the way you show up for yourself, the way you show up for everyone else in your life and the way you show up in the world. It's simple. Really well said. Yeah, I would encourage everyone to just take a deep breath now while they're listening and try and tap into something, release something that may be bothering them and go through life with a little bit more ease and, and grace and understand that we are, we are strong. And although there are a lot of challenges in the world, these, these things are, you know, simple when we boil them down. A lot of times, a lot of these challenges that come up seem really pressing and, and, and terrible, but there's this the overwhelming complexity that, that I sense with everyday life, whether it's just all the notifications that we deal with or text messages or, just the pixels that are being bombarded into our eyeballs. It, it's almost, it just feels like, feels like so much sometimes. And it's just, it can be really overwhelming. I agree. I've been feeling that a lot lately as well. And just being raw and vulnerable. I'm in a huge time of transition right now, not knowing exactly where I want to live, not knowing exactly what I want to. I have a lot of eggs in a lot of different baskets and I'm just trying to condense and that's just real. You know, that's life is you got to do stuff to figure out what it is that you want to go full force. on. And so, yeah, when you're consuming more than you're creating and all these pixels and people's lives are flashing into your 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 eyes and your face, it, it does it. What it does is it sh shows you almost too, too much. You have to take a step back and be like, okay, well, this is my life. I'm here now. This is what I'm looking at, what I'm in front of. Where do I want to go? And not let those things misdirect you or be like, oh, well, this person seems happy, so I want to do what they're doing. It's like you have to go in here and in your heart and your mind and figure out, okay, this is what I want. This is how I'm going to get there because everybody is truly so unique and so different. So it is overstimulation. And I think it's important that we all have practices. Like for me, it's, yeah, of course, the meditation and the breath work, but also just feeling my feelings, <laughs> allowing yourself to feel and work through. And then always like the nature, the connection to nature. I believe that that's so, so important, no matter where you live. For me, it's the beach that will always bring me right back. Yeah. Yeah. The, the beach, ocean, the, forests, the mountains, the river, the lake, whatever, whatever you have, it, that's, that's just such an essential counterbalance to this technological flashing light, moving pixel era that we all are kind of forced to, to live into and, and integrate and, and somehow face and deal with. It, it's, it's so fascinating seeing this stuff all just become more prevalent in our lives. And then I don't know, it, it, it's just become, even over the past three years, it's just become so much more, it almost feels like it's become more real in a way, as if real life has become less real. And then the internet has become more real in this really strange way that I can't quite wrap my head around. Yeah, I feel that too. It's like people are, if your way of, of making money or marketing or having a business is online, like it is you know, the percentage of time and, and energy that you put into the screen is your real life, technically. It, it, yeah, it's trippy, you know, I it can go down like a rabbit hole talking about this because 
ultimately you want to be present and focus on what's in front of you but if your way of you know being able to live and and express and create is online then that plays a huge role in your everyday life and that you just have to learn you know how to balance it essential so essential to learn like that is like it's not something that anyone has ever learned before there's i feel like there's probably a few people who have figured it out but it's like brand new for yes humanity to be able to figure out like what the yes. heck is this thing and how do we deal with it yeah we're like the rabbits we're kind of the first chunk of people that is experiencing like half of the the population or the people around you have jobs online half of them have them in person and it's wild because for the first time in our lives it's like what is a celebrity anymore like just things are just so drastically changing and shifting and it all comes back to that principle of not fighting the external world. Because I hear people talk down on it and they're like, oh, well, I just want to run away and escape. And yes, as much as I understand that and love slow living and will probably end up moving back to the jungle to do just that. It's like, but I do love the abundance that the Internet can bring. And I do love the connections I've made and the the people that I've met through it. And it is the ex- external world or the digital world that we live in so don't fight it just flow with it that's really well said yeah you mentioned something really important within that riff that caught my attention you said to create more than you consume which i really believe is a powerful principle and i'd like to dig into that a little bit in your life creativity what has been your relationship with that superpower Yeah, I definitely feel the most creative, the less I'm consuming. Because when you're consuming and you're consuming and you see this idea or this concept or this being spoken about or being made or a video, whatever it may be, it's, you know, it's going into your mind and you're like, should I do that? Whereas when you're creativity in the way that you can articulate an experience that happened in the real world always comes off best and more authentically it's like yeah you could go viral posting the same thing that you saw online because you know that it'll go viral because the other person did it but it's like that's not your authenticity and I think a superpower in today's world is being so authentically yourself so that you're able to you know, show that in your creative process and go through life's experiences and then share them as as they are. That's a really fascinating perspective and makes me think about that how so much of life is actually creativity, even though it's not commonly perceived that way. Like pretty much every conversation could be perceived as a creative act. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just we're just ripping, we're we're going with the flow. And there, there's one way to approach that. It's just like kind of a more fear-inducing way, which is to just be authentic. I'm just going to be who I am. I'm not going to front. I'm not going to pretend like I'm somebody I'm not or say things that I know may get a certain amount of attention or be perceived in a certain way, even though it's not really me. And I have this idea that that almost leads you down the wrong path in life, where if you're being dishonest and if you're creating from a place of ego or, or from what you're trying to get out of the situation instead of just being in the flow and being yourself and being authentic, it's almost as if that authenticity is going to bring you down your best possible path, even though that may not be what is most celebrated by the culture. Like you may not make the most money down that path, but you'll probably find the most deepest sense of purpose and happiness ultimately. But I don't know if that's, that might just be a false idea that I made up. I'm not sure what to make of that idea. I feel that idea. I feel that idea and I agree with it personally too, because Yeah, going back, it's like you could go to the school and get a degree to be a doctor because you know that's going to make you money or to be a dentist or whatever it may be. But do you love that? It all comes back to does that fulfill you? Does that fill your cup? Is that going to allow you to show up the best for the people in your life and love and go around and spread your light and be a light in in this world? I believe we're all light beings, but... I definitely believe it can be accessed and tapped into when you are doing what you love and then you can allow the money to flow and follow because money is just energy. 
it's true. And, and there's almost this obsession with an overabundance of money too, where they, our culture just emphasizes the fact that you need to have all this wealth and, and all the, all these riches. And a lot of people are making themselves miserable in order to attain that, even though it's not what makes them shine inside. It's not what lights them up and they could have enough money doing what they love if they really believed in themselves and allowed themselves to express that authentic passion. And, and this is something that messed me up throughout most of my 20s is, is was doing what I thought culture wanted me to do, doing what <laughs> was expected to do and, and trying to do things to appease other people instead of having the courage to do what I wanted to do within myself. And, and it, it's a struggle. And I think in a lot of ways that is almost a, a form of modern enlightenment, like what you're describing is, you know, that's the path for, for a lot of people who I see and, and admire most are the people who are really following. Uh, yeah, I just got chills because it's so true. That is the path. It's just being authentic, not lying to yourself because the angst and the fear and all of these false things that we make up in the mind is it stems from not being honest and authentic with yourself. I truly believe in not doing what you know you should be doing in order to reach and strive to get to the place that you are trying to go. I love where this conversation is going because this is, this is great and this is really, really powerful. This idea of, of doing what you should be doing and this plays out every every day. <laughs> it's like there's the micro moments where it's like, okay, no, I, I know I should be doing <laughs> Not quite doing it. And then there are also like, I, I feel as though there are supportive habits. Um, I think tra movement is, is one of them. Eating, eating, you know, good quality foods is another where these things support us on our path to be able to have the fortitude and the dedication and the gratitude and the courage to be able to, to do what we know <laughs> what we need to do. But I feel like there are, there are maybe other pieces of, of the practice or pieces of the puzzle to put in the place to kind of support and be a foundation for these things. What Are there any others practices that you have that help you stay on the path i think late late lately in my life now breath work has helped me tremendously just kind of work through all of this un uh, uncertainty uh in my mind because neurologically you know you feel that right away like a meditation practice it's like you, you don't sit down and meditate to, if you're sitting down to meditate to feel a sense of calm, I believe like you're not, that's not the practice. That's not what you should be trying to achieve. Like, yes, of course, if it regulates your nervous system or brings it down, that's that's beautiful and it will do that because you're breathing while you're you're sitting there meditating, but it should be to just see what arises and accept those thoughts, let them pass, not don't attach to them. But when you're working with the breath on top of that, it's like, okay, this actually has an immediate neurological benefit that I will see show up throughout my day. Of course, as well as meditation, but the breath work for me has been a main huge thing. And then also coming back to that belief in myself and staying true to my authenticity and allowing myself to feel my feelings and giving myself the grace and giving myself the grace to go back to like these these habits that we know make us better, like eating healthy and, you know, feeling our feeling our mind, our body, our soul, connecting in nature. But there is times where you have to give yourself grace and just like allow the art of doing nothing to be beautiful. Like, why do you always have to be doing something? That's another societal programming that's like stuck in our mind because you open your screen, your phone, your computer and you see like everybody's posting when they're doing something, not when they're doing nothing. But doing nothing is is necessary in order to do something. It's the duality of nature, duality of man, duality of world. Allowing the art of doing nothing to be beautiful. That <laughs> <laughs> is, That's a really wonderful phrase and a, such a tremendous way to frame doing nothing and allowing it to be beautiful because it can be just so beautiful just being yeah just being we're here to be we're human beings we gotta do to to allow the being to be but yeah just coming back to that balance a bit of a pivot or a segue but i'm curious what you think of dreams i believe dreams are definitely 
messengers, definitely big messengers messengers in life if you listen to them closely and dissect them. I have been becoming really interested lately in the topic of lucid dreaming and trying to unlock that. I've practiced a few times, but haven't really like fully become in touch with lucid dreaming yet. But yeah, dreams are interesting because, you know, it's just the subconscious. And sometimes like I don't always remember my dreams. So you got to start with like remembering them. But what's your experience? I, I did go through a time of getting into lucid dreaming and trying to fake like there was <laughs> all these kind of funny practices of like you're supposed to like knock on doors in real life so that when you like do it in a dream like when you knock on the door you can kind of tell that you're in the dream or something exactly yeah and it kind of it kind of i got a little bit um it tripped me out a little bit because i almost started i always kind of go through life feeling like life is a dream in a way like we're in this dream within a dream and it sort of feels like the practice of lucid dreaming you know we can have that practice within life as well where we kind of wake up and realize oh we do have some sort of power and ability to lucid life in a way <laughs> like we can kind of we can kind of control the flow of reality to a degree like not not fully but like we have some agency certainly and i think the practice of, of lucid dreaming seems like a pretty cool way to to integrate that power a little bit deeper and, and more fully and just be more present and and more in control but i i almost got a little bit tripped out by it to a degree where i just wanted to let the dreams be dreams and and you know just kind of take from that what it what it may not try and not try and force my my will on the on the dream time but it was it's pretty learning to think that we can actually figure out how to be awake in the dream and then even learn things i think that some people will report being able to like practice skills in their dreams like learn to play the piano which is that's super fascinating it is super fascinating and it's a topic that's in- interesting too and grasps my attention like you said is like yes not not push- forcing your will on the dream and kind of just letting it unravel as it should based off of what's happening in our subconscious but then there's also another side to it where it's like is this happening in a different Leah in a different life of Leah like in a different realm like or is it just my subconscious or is this actually happening so yeah and then the other aspect of this to me is is are these visions that we get sort of in in waking life or even what we call the imagination which very similar to probably the same neural system where we've got these images in our mind's eye it's just a little bit less clear when we're also you know awake moving around and seeing things but it's another underrated tool that we have that we have access to the other day i was i was relaxing on the couch enjoying the art of the beautiful art of doing nothing and it was just like i had this idea oh i'm i'm scrolling my imagination right now which is kind of silly but instead of being on my phone scrolling through social media i just was tapping into my imagination kind of just letting it unfold and in a way just scrolling my imagination i think maybe framing it that way for people who who have a little bit maybe have some trouble putting their phone down and, and doing nothing that was a really helpful way to just kind of consider it where i was just thinking of things that I could do, imagining potential futures. And it, it was a beautiful practice. And technically I was doing nothing, but really I was doing quite a lot. And I think the imagination is another underrated aspect of, of life, similar to dreams, but a little bit, a little bit different. Yeah, that's awesome that you said that because lately I've been doing the same thing of just sitting and doing nothing meaning I'm not picking up a book, I'm not picking up my phone. Like I I just want to let my thoughts unravel. Like sitting, reveal reveal to me thoughts. Like please tell me, show me. And it's cool like where the mind will go. And you know, when you do get those good thoughts and those good visions, you can be conscious of it and then feed them. Whereas when you're on your phone, it's like, okay, that's so subconscious to the point where if you're in taking something negative and then you're going to think about it more, it's like, oh, well, you're distracted on your phone. You're going to feed those negative thoughts. And so the art of doing nothing and, you know, letting letting it unravel as it should is something that was obviously done a lot more back in the day, but needs to be brought back into our lives. Really wonderful. I love that allowing the good thoughts to emerge and, and putting energy into those ones 
is almost as if we're we're gardening the garden of our mind, you know, or weeding the garden of our mind where these kind of negative, you know, ruminations arise and we can kind of pluck those weeds out and then water the flowers that are blooming or the sprouts that we know will be a beautiful rosebush one day, but it just like isn't there yet. And it, it is it is almost like like gardening in a way too, where we've got the soil of our mind formed by our holistic health habits and then those are able to grow these these beautiful plants in the form of thoughts or beliefs and or potential realities that that stem as a result of that and it makes me consider now is is there a certain kind of vision that you are forming for your future or what would your ideal life path be from here that you're currently playing with i think i'm so open right now for the first time in my life where i'm almost letting it be directed to me and like come to me of course i have an idea and that is you know that this carrying this yogic path and being able to teach and give that gift because i truly love teaching um, and learning about it and want to continue that and see myself hosting surf and yoga retreats and you know eventually bringing a product product back in there and i have these visions but i'm trying to lean into the why and let the how unravel so lean into why i want to do that like leah why do you want to host a retreat leah why do you want to teach yoga why do you want to create a product and sell it to people and then when you're really clear on why you want to do something that's when the how you're going to do it just starts to unravel because you are co-creating with with god with source whatever any someone wants to call it and you have to leave room and space for that co-creation but i believe that we have to have a vision for ourselves or else one will be formed for us deep deep and, and powerful and I'm excited to see what what does unfold from from those questions and that interplay and that co-creation that that you are currently co-creating. And I've really enjoyed hearing your experience and, and your perceptions and, and everything that you've shared and the way that you express it has been wonderful. So thank you for for taking the time to connect and co-create with me here on this. I'm sure that a lot of people listening are are going to enjoy it as, as well as it was deep and, and wide ranging and and delightful and i'd like to give you some time here to share anything else that you'd, that you'd like to for for everyone listening as we bring the conversation to a conclusion yeah i guess i'd like to let everyone know that's listening that you can always be the creator of your reality never ever lose faith and stay authentic to who you are you and only you are truly the one that knows what you want and maybe what you need to do in order to get there so let let the how unravel for yourself and of course you can ask for guidance and opinions from the people around you but stay true to yourself as you truly know it's best for you powerful Leah Hester (laughs) Case thank you so amazing to chat so grateful